Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 32, the 28 podcast. I'm Alexander Wienberg, and I'm joined today by Steve, who we're going to discuss hobby, full camera, and all around like miniature stuff with. Welcome, Steve. Thanks very much. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm trapped in my hobby room with a, a big light on, and it's quite warm. It's a hot day in Scotland today. I bet it's kind of getting hot here in Finland as well. We're probably going to get close to 30 tomorrow, and next week they're predicting like passing 35, which is kind of a killer Bloody for hell. us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope it doesn't get like that here. We normally get, whenever it gets really hot, we normally get a downpour of rain shortly afterwards, which kind of helps. You know, it's not quite as bad, so I'm hoping we get quite a bit of rain over the next couple of days as well. Mm, yeah, I bet like getting some, hopefully not very you know, hot and humid though. That's for me personally the worst. <laughs> yeah, it gets sticky. Yeah. So uh, I've been seeing you, as I mentioned, a lot on like different Discord groups. Uh, I think I've seen <laughs> you on Facebook a bit. Instagram, mm -hmm. you're popping up having opinions <laughs> on all kinds of projects. So tell me a bit about yourself and what is it like you do in the hobby? Um, well, I suppose, like you said, I, I kind of turn up everywhere a bit like a bad smell. Um, I just, I, <laughs> I, I get really excited by seeing all the things that people do. Um, and I can't help but either getting involved or at least wanting to uh, know what people are up to. So like you said, I do um, quite a few discards that I'm in and various other things. Um, I suppose myself at, at heart, I'm just a, a, a beardy guy who sits in his room and paints minis. Um, that's what I love doing. I, I enjoy um, kit bashing. I enjoy painting. Uh, I just really enjoy the creative side of the hobby. Um, and that leads me to come into contact with lots of other wonderful people who enjoy doing the same kind of things. And, you know, I, I, I really dig looking at what people are doing and, sometimes i like getting involved and helping out as well um so i just end up drifting from one thing to another really like some kind of uh intergalactic hobby hobo <laughs> well put <laughs> yeah i've seen you in all kind of this uh slightly non-games workshop related project i think i've seen you doing some stuff for Weld, Wild, Wold. I must admit I don't know how to pronounce it, but I <laughs> guess you might know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, so that'd be for the Wield. Yes. Wield. Wield, yeah. That's how I pronounce it anyway, but I'm I'm uh, I'm from the north of England, so you'll probably find it pronounced differently depending where you are in the UK as mm -hmm. well. But I, I say Wield, I consider that to be correct. I think we could admit like most people will don't not ever be in a situation where they can pronounce it so it will just be written online so it's kind of everyone yeah. can say it their own way i guess but yeah, uh, yeah can you tell me a little bit answers. yeah <laughs> can you tell me a bit about like that and uh, because that's one of those bubbling under i think or is that the way to say it like this small project that seems to have a really dedicated group of hobbyists working on them and it's mm -hmm looking really good and really weird which is you know a positive <laughs> for us here at 28 yeah. so yeah can you tell me a bit about that project and what you've been doing with it yeah um like you said it it does have uh, a really a really dedicated sort of kernel of of people like the the discord is um that's probably where i, I waste most of my time when i'm not working um we're we're always on there doing something whether it's chatting or having a, a challenge or anything but um yeah at, at its heart the wield is a skirmish game um set at generally a 28 millimeter sort of 28 32 like your standard games workshop roughly sized miniatures um and it has quite a, an emphasis on on folk horror um and the sort of the horror of the the natural world in in this fictitious place called the Weald, which is essentially a, a ginormous, terrible forest. And that was so. The, the Weald was a project that I sort of got dragged into out of my own curiosity. Um, it's actually created by uh, a gentleman called Max, um, and he's he's actually from from America, and he he came up with the original 
concept himself um, and he had assistance from uh, another chap called Alessandro who's from Italy um, so it's a bit of an international kind of project which was really cool um, Definitely. and I found out about it on Instagram this would have been I think now this would probably be nearly two years ago now actually so it was kind of like when when lockdown was happening and Max came up with this idea for a skirmish game that he wanted to do um, and sort of write the rules but also have it a bit of a community-led project to get, you know, lots of people contributing to it. Um, and so I um, got in touch with him after seeing some stuff that he'd posted about it um, and joined the Discord. And that's where we kind of sat and cooked up all the all the stuff. So um, Max's vision was, was this um, game that was kind of influenced, I suppose, by things like Mordheim and other, you know, like skirmish games that have this sort of dark, miserable fantasy element to them. Um, and that was, we were sort of setting out to create something that had a, a similar idea to it, but um, a different setting, a different story with a, a whole unique set of mechanics. And one of the, the, the big things about it was that we wanted to have, um, or Max came up with the, the two separate factions, which are the, the Wardens, and the now, um, I'll try and explain this without wandering off on, on too many tangents. But it can <laughs> no be difficult. Problems. Go right ahead. So, as I said, the, the world is this is this large, expansive forest, um, and the the you know settlement scattered throughout the world. It's got a rough sort of medieval era level of technology and belief and things like that. And people have been getting on there, you know, living there quite nicely for for generations. Uh, until something terrible comes along, this thing called the rot, uh, and the rot basically consumes life and infests things. It's this powerful, hungry, evil force that's taking over things, and it produces these weird and twisted creatures that are called gnarl, uh, which is G-N-A-R-L, like a like a gnarled oak tree or something mm. like that. Um, and so they are, if you want to call them, I suppose, the bad guys of it, then that would be, you know, the, the now is one faction. And then the Wardens are more sort of human or, or semi-human, could be like dwarves and elves if people wanted to, but primarily that would be like a human faction. Um, so the the Wardens are the people who have volunteered to, or, well, some of them volunteer, some of them are bounty hunters, essentially. Whatever brings them to want to, to fight, the monsters that the rocks created they're the wardens they gather around in their gangs and they go off and they hunt for now and try and stop the spread and and whatnot um also each each individual band was is also more than um more than willing to to fight members of their own kind so wardens will fight rival wardens and now will fight rival now there's really no sort of allegiances if you if you come across uh a rival bunch of people in the world chances are they'll probably try and kill you and take your stuff um so it's quite a it's quite a dangerous place to be so no really clear-cut like good and bad guys it's more like <laughs> shades of gray as as it's very popular to say about these games or yeah. even that you know everyone's a bad guy in their own in their own personal way <laughs> exactly yeah um so that that's that's pretty much exactly what we were kind of going for um and the the kind of emphasis as well is um sort of leaning into that folk horror kind of thing so there's there's a lot of misinformation so in the in the setting of the world itself you know information travels very slowly um mm. and it only comes through the stories of survivors or people who are out like charlatans and liars or people who might have been driven mad by what they've encountered so the information about what's happening is our reliable information about what's happening is difficult to come by. So there are a lot of conflicting stories about what's causing everything um, or whether there is either, even a problem. The, the the main issues that the in the game world at the moment, the, the main problem is occurring in the northern region of the world. And so the southern region has been relatively unaffected. They just know something strange has happened because trade and travel has started to become more of a trickle and drop off. Uh, but anyone who goes north to find out what's going on doesn't really come back. Or if they do, they come back with these unbelievable, fantastic stories about monsters in the trees and things like that. So um, information is very, very limited in the game setting for the for the um, you know the models, the characters that are involved in it. None of them really know exactly what's going on. Yeah, I definitely like that. It's kind of a 
personal thing that I find slightly annoying is when people want, you know, background stories who explains everything about the setting and, you know, who every person mm-hmm. is. And for me personally, I find it very limiting to do basically anything with that kind of setting. Yeah, it might make for, you know, perhaps a good book, but it's mm-hmm. not make me want to create miniatures and like my own little stories or anything because everything's so clear cut so somebody's already done it and just painting miniatures in somebody's very clearly explained world doesn't do anything for me and i think perhaps generalizing but that's kind of like what 28 and the whole 28 ethos style whatever you want to call it is about you know giving Mm -hmm. these kind of interesting small hooks and then letting people run wild with them yeah 100 percent. i i agree with that i think it's it's much more interesting if you can you know the the maybe a, a world that someone's created like you know like games workshop and, and the, the warmer universe is really sort of rich and inspiring but i think it's it's so much cooler when you take take that idea but then make something yourself um you know make something fresh and that's unique to you um based off that or inspired by it so um mm. hopefully the the world generates that same kind of thing. So like the idea of the um, uh, bands of wardens, they could really be anything. So they could be, you know, they could be pirates, they could be mercenaries, ex-soldiers. Um, the the warband that, that I created, uh, uh, I called them the Lords of Last Chance, and they're uh, a bunch of disgraced knights and nobles. And so they've come together to fight because, uh, well, they've really got, no, nothing else to do they've they've lost the lands they've lost the titles or they've lost the wealth and so they've they've gone to fight now because some of them want to seek an honorable death to atone for what they've done others have got really have nothing better to do and like a fight so just a bunch of uh drunkards and scoundrels you know <laughs> and, and hopefully that's the kind of thing that you know people can come up with these um really cool ideas um and and create their own war bands like it's it's uh, in the world everything's encouraged to be you know to be kitbashed or built from scratch or i mean you want you don't have to do that if you've got a perfect set of miniatures that you want to use like um some really nice you know old hammer guardsmen or um bretonians something like that they would fit mm. in wonderfully so that it doesn't um if you if you're not into kit bashing or anything that shouldn't be a, a barrier for someone playing but it's it's generally encouraged to go wild and crazy with with the stuff you do we do um lots of little challenges on the wheel discard um about just creating crazy things a lot of the times like the the i told challenge which was to create a, a representation of an i told which is one of the creatures that lives in the world which is it's basically a monstrous toad with a single eye in the front of its mm. face and so everyone you know created their own little variants of it from from kit bashing from sculpting from scratch and things and that was that was a lot of fun it was really good yeah i would say like uh here at 28 we're very much you know against all forms of gatekeeping and Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like the people who are interested in, to the, in these kind of games, they want to convert and or they want to paint them in their own kind of way. They don't want to look at, you know, box art because mm-hmm. usually there isn't any. And if if yeah. they want a really <laughs> good game for, you know, the mechanics, then kind of these uh, put together games by hobbyists probably aren't the ones you want you know to bring to a tournament and play because the rules yeah. are so <laughs> well trimmed and stuff it's yeah. it's not the kind of crowd that usually finds an interest but you know of course if they want to try it more than welcome but yeah so yeah. i think it kind of like lends itself to you know you want to find the odd miniatures you know you want to use andrew may for example who is kind of for me, yeah, this definitely. personal spider in the web of all kind of weird <laughs> and wonderful miniatures. So you want to go, you know, with Nick Evans and his mm-hmm. uh, mammoth miniatures, I think, yeah. casting yeah. like name is. And, you know, you want to find this very underground kind of stuff instead and, and use that and maybe convert them, maybe not. But they already are slightly ordered and uh, the standard or I don't know if I want to say standard, but, you know, the classic Shining Knight and uh, mm-hmm. Wizard with the pointy hat. So it's it's slightly different. Yeah. But yeah, another one I felt like commenting on with when you said you started at the, at the pandemic, which, you know, two years already going strong. And I was actually mm-hmm. in the, in the uh, Discord 
not at the beginning, but quite early on. But I felt like I had to leave a lot of like Discord and Facebook groups. It just became too much. I was getting too much yeah. hobby, you know, stuff from everywhere. <laughs> and I felt like yeah. it was stifling and slightly draining to have that much content, you know, thrown in your face. But uh, I popped up back in maybe a couple of weeks ago and I was pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised how much activity there still is. And I think this is something. I've noticed like, you know, in a lot of these slightly jokey projects, you know, they start off as kind of like mm-hmm. casual, like wouldn't it yeah. be cool if, and you can see it with like Turnip28 and uh, yeah. your project and uh, other ones like these who are like slug wizards, for example, who starts off kind of like a weird, <laughs> so seems yeah. like something, you know, <laughs> you come up when you're slightly drunk, like, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if there were slug wizards? It sounds like you, know, you might have imbibed something before that idea. Yeah. But still, like they, the main creator's like weird-ass idea gives this positive energy, I think, that attracts a crowd that slowly yeah. you know, grows. And I think that's really cool because I've seen a lot of these kind of like Inquisitor 28 projects crash and burn where like people are like super excited, like, oh, we want to do this. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it doesn't really seem to materialize, you know. Some do. Yeah. I'm not saying, like, every project fails. But mm-hmm. I think there's, I don't know why, but it seems like these kind of weird-ass projects, on the other hand, seems to have a longer shelf life, in a way. Or even gain, you know, their own kind of life. Yeah. Have you yeah, seen I've... anything like this, you know? Uh, well, I, th- I think um, Turnip is a great example of that um that that's evolved into into something wonderful and strange and and just uh magnificent um and i i suppose well i, I guess there's a lot of weirdos about and that's that helps <laughs> a lot of people with weird taste and when we're saying and weirdos I, we mean it in a positive way i just want to exactly. remark here yeah no i i i include myself with a weirdo with a capital w uh definitely um i I think it's it's amazing that we do live in a time where it's so easy for people with these kind of ideas to connect with each other, um, and you know it it does it it hits a spark with people clearly not not everyone. I think there's as you were saying before there's a there's a place for um, very controlled, well written well written doesn't sounds like i'm saying other things aren't i mean i, I think what right, i mean is perhaps. like a, a well well produced slickly produced things like games workshop mm-hmm. so they, they've got editions and codices and all these things so that there is a place for that very regimented and regulated form of gaming that can be you know suitable for tournament play and things like that but then there's another side and i think again with, with 28 it all comes back to that kind of freeform creativity where you want to be able to make your own stories and your own characters and do your own weird little things and having these projects that embrace a, a particular person's unique idea like in this case like with the wheel it was all you know max had this idea one day wouldn't it be great if and then asked a few other people to come and jump in and carry that sentence on a bit like a bit like an improv mm-hmm. if you know what i mean but writing rules and something like that can can strike a card with enough people and and gather a bit of momentum and then you have a little community going on all of its own um and i, I think it's like um I've mentioned this before when I've spoken to a few other people, but it's like almost like a perfect storm of several things coming together at once, which is helping the, the community in this sense. And I think, strangely enough, as, as gloomy as it is, the pandemic is one thing because it gave people a lot of time to be able to sort of reevaluate and focus on on what it is they, they want from the hobby and what, what they get enjoyment mm-hmm. out of. Um, and then there's also the way that, that technology has changed. So... Um, indie games indie game designing and miniature designing and creating things like that is becoming much more accessible and much more available um and it's much more easy to find information about it so things like uh, instagram you know love it or hate it it can be very good for finding out about what people are doing what creators are making so as you said like andrew may and nick evans um you can see their work on there you can uh, keep up to date with like the kickstarters that they might release and things like that so you can always keep track of your uh, you know what's going on in that scene the 3d printing has really blown up as well so people are able to access different kinds of miniatures from different different sculptors um, and then you've got the things like discord which 
feels like it's been a, a you know, I don't I don't think the world would be exist as it does today without something like Discord. Um, and it's it's almost without I'm, I'm not paid by Discord before I say this. I don't work for them. I'm not sponsored, <laughs> but it's it is a great place for having a community um, build around an idea. Uh, as opposed to like Instagram's not very permanent. It's, you know, the feed changes all the time. And, you know, there's the whole thing about chasing likes and followers and stuff. And you mm. post a picture and et cetera. Whereas with the, in something like Discord, you have the opportunity to, you know, there's, there's a record of what, what's been discussed. You can save your documents there, or you can link through to Google Docs, which is what we do for, for the world rules. Um, and, so the, there is a sense of permanence. So the, the 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 information that you put in there is not just getting cast out into into the ether and then forgot about. And that allows you to have that permanent little community that people can come back to and you know and chat in and you can dip in and dip out. And I, I'm in I'm in too many Discord servers as it is, but <laughs> I, I always I, I keep telling myself I'm going to spend more time on each individual because I'll, I'll join them because I find them really exciting and then I'll be all over it for a little bit and then I have to go away and do something and then I'll try and come back and but um I'm gonna gonna spend more time with some of the groups that I've been neglecting um over the next few weeks but yeah I think all, all those aspects um coming together in the right place in the right time is probably what what gives that little spark that means that some of these these projects really do take off um Whereas maybe other others don't. I think it's just that that kind of timing aspect and those different different bits coming together. Yeah, I've kind of talked myself into a corner there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but I think like you're definitely on, you know, a good point there. And yeah, I mean, Discord, love it or hate it, it has its problems, you know, as any social mm-hmm. media platform has. But like skipping yeah. the technical aspects of it, I think it's a great way to create this kind of like mini hubs for different projects and uh, it's slightly like you know the forums that sort of started dying in i think like mm-hmm. 12 or 14 back in those days and uh, you know it has you know as you said a more permanent record rather than being just tossing out you know a message into the ether and hoping somebody like minded might see it so instead you yeah. have like you can scroll it of course some discords uh, grow so fast and they grow this incredibly fascinating i'm sure from like you know one who studies cultures kind of like subcultural language where you're out one day and you might have missed you know 200 messages or something and the jokes are getting so weird like you can't get them (laughs) and it's just it's odd but it's still a lot of passion and a lot of like Mm -hmm. minded people finding each other which i always think is good you know nobody should suffer from being alone and uh, perhaps we're getting past of the stigma of being online from, you know, those of us who are closing in on 40 or <laughs> being past that remembers when it was like, oh, you can't be, you know, just sitting in front of a computer, go out and meet people. And for me personally, I met a lot of people in the flesh after meeting them online, you know, not in a weird yeah. way or anything. <laughs> As we all this like to say it. <laughs> the old Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, so I think that it, as you say, it allows for these kind of uh, projects to flourish. And definitely, you know, pandemic boredom was very real mm-hmm. for a lot of people. So, you know, getting thrown into cool ideas is perhaps more accessible. And I think people are generally welcoming. You know, if you feel like, mm-hmm. hey, this isn't my group then by no means stay in it, you know. If it doesn't feel like they're welcoming, then fuck those guys and find something else (laughs) that's more fun. But a lot of people are really like, hey, I like, you know, subject A. Do you want to hear about it? And if you're up for hearing about, you know, nerds talking about (laughs) random weird-ass fantasy, then yeah, then you might have a really great time. So I think that's that's a really cool subject. And, you know, I wouldn't have found you in unless it was this kind of weird things going on and and uh, yeah so i i think it's definitely you know net positive in that sense for for the community and or well you know the hobby in general community might be a bit of an odd word but or at least for us Finns, we don't believe in community <laughs> <laughs> we like privacy and silence <laughs> i was just gonna add about your your point about i think that might be one of the 
one of the potential negatives about discord is that you you do have to have an invite in order to to get into it so it's not mm. i mean that doesn't necessarily mean it's a closed system because most most of the groups i'm in i know they'll they'll just chuck invites out everywhere if you you mention that you're interested someone will fire one over to you straight away so they're very welcoming in that aspect um but i suppose it's it's not always easy you won't you wouldn't necessarily discover a discord channel in isolation uh, in isolation you would need to hear yeah, about true. it from someone or from somewhere so it's it's the the growth in discord takes place either outside of discord or in other channels like you know the the, mm-hmm. the 28 mag discord is a great place for for discovering things and a lot of the other ones so like the people in the world will tell you about lobster park the people in lobster park will tell you about wield um the same with you know necropolis or, or all kinds of different ones where people, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of crossover so you, you tend to see you see sometimes the same faces the same people making the same yeah. jokes and whatnot but, there are some um, who are very infidious and you can see like see like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. these are all the same guys again and girls yeah <laughs> yeah but i mean hopefully it's uh, quite that i wouldn't like to, like it to feel intimidating for people to join a particular server and i know i i I feel that myself i'm not like this amazingly confident person like a a discard marine that can just drop into any server and immediately be like right i'm here worship me or anything you know it's like if i'm Mm -hmm. if i'm new to a place then i'm a newbie and you know you feel that you know taking the time to get to know people and and learning what it's all about and everything so hopefully it's not a case that that can be too off-putting for people because sometimes, yeah. like Discord servers, as we were talking about, the, the permanence of them, there can be a lot of stuff to take on board when you first land mm-hmm. in it. And then, and like you say, people are all, you know, they're, they're still chatting away, they're making particular jokes and there's stuff going on. So it, it can take a while, I think, you know, to, to find your feet and settle into a to a particular uh, group like that and, and find out whether it is, you know, whether it, whether it's, it's for you. Um, and that can be a combination of what the project is as well as who the people are that are in it. But um, hopefully the wield is quite a welcoming one. We always, I, from, I, I always think that we try and do our best to welcome people. We are a bit crazy. <laughs> I'll admit that we we do we uh, we go on some some weird uh, existential journeys together in the wield. Um, not all of them safe for work or young children or people of a nervous disposition. <laughs> we're, we're not like Well, I think if you're on, you know, on Discord talking miniatures at work, then you should just be like nothing safe for work at that point yeah. anymore. <laughs> but no, you have, a, you have a point there very well said, like a basic bit of, you know, civility and humility when you're in a new group. Just, you know, mm-hmm. check out what it's about. And that goes a long way. I was talking with uh, Kevin mm-hmm. Rahman from Forbidden Psalm about this. And I mm-hmm. think it was, you know, in the wheeled group I was, when I joined it, there was a long discussion about is this shit piss or piss shit? And I was just like, I might be slightly too old for this stuff. <laughs> but I was just like, yeah, you know, let's just look past the, the gutter and, and see if there's something good here. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of good. So. <laughs> Just give yeah, it a just... chance. They might be weird, but you know they have a good heart. <laughs> yeah, I think they everyone in the world is they they have a heart of gold. They might have a rough exterior. Um, <laughs> sometimes you know, sometimes the, the, these are the great philosoph- philosophical questions of our time. Piss they are. Shit piss. <laughs> I, I recall what you're talking about. I remember seeing that, and uh, yeah, some, sometimes I'll, I'll just um, I'll just read and have a chuckle and keep out of it. And sometimes I'll dive in and give my own opinions. <laughs> Depends yeah. on what I mean. I mean. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you mentioned uh, one of the, like the inspirations for the wield, if I'm keep saying that correctly is uh, folk horror and you actually wrote an article in i believe volume four of uh, 28 about folk hammer with Jonas alexander i yes, might pronounce his correct. name wrongly i think he's german not swedish even though the name sounds super swedish so that's why i'm saying it in a <laughs> swedish way <laughs> sorry <Yeah. laughs> so you want to talk about a bit about that and uh, like what is Perhaps for some of our listeners, what is folk horror? Mm-hmm. Even though it's kind of bubbling subculture, I think there might be some who aren't familiar with it. And what is like the folk hammer general idea? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll certainly give it a go. Um, so I suppose folk horror then is it is receiving a bit of a, a revival at the moment. I suppose the the general basis for folk horror, I always find it easier to refer um, to movies really because that normally gives people a better idea about the the general feel of it and what it encompasses. But it, it's generally the kind of the tropes and concepts of horror, but as it relates to to folklore. So there's normally a heavy influence on nature or natural elements of the, you know, the natural world. So forests, mountains, isolation, little villages off the beaten track, that kind of thing. Um, the countryside. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and that sort of ties into the the kind of folklore side of it as well. So this is where you know, in a lot of a lot of folklore, like all, all over the world, I'm sure it's the the case. Where in the in the UK. Um, you know the weird things, the the furries, the strange beings. They all, they, you know, they live in the forests. They live on mountain tops or in deep caverns and things like that. Um, and folk horror is, I suppose, about in uh, exploring the kind of themes of what what happens when humans come into contact with ancient things that they don't understand that come from this, you know, rich folklore that that we have in in all all different parts of the world. Um, and it's always normally bad things as well. So bad things happen when we come into contact with these things. It's a bit, <laughs> a bit like um, Eldritch Horrors and the Cthulhu Mythos. You know, these are all it falls under that category of things that that humans are not meant to know. But folk horror, I think, also encompasses a lot of ideas. I suppose that there's a bit of an overlap with some kind of New Age ideas or things like New Age religions, like Wicca. And about having a you know a connection to nature, so it's not it's not always a negative thing. There's there's a, there's positive sides to it as well. So like nature can be a force for good as much as it can be a force for for evil. Um, but um, yeah, so the the kind of there's a spirituality side of it as well. Mm. And so where folklore or folk beliefs can I suppose lead to behaviour that fits well into a horror film. So like human sacrifice and dark rituals and things like that you know we must appease the gods to to achieve our harvest this year that kind of attitude that's kind very of very much um, if i may interrupt just like very much yeah. in the old uh wicker man uh movie the christopher lee version not the nicholas yes. cage version like it's a <laughs> bad thing you know spoilers for a one fifty year old movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah it's like it's a bad thing for the police officer Mm-hmm. but it might be a net positive for the community yeah exactly yeah i mean if if it works if it if you if you get the harvest you want next year then who's to say that that's a bad thing i mean we yeah, can all and it leaves as, as you ended, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i always thought it would be a really good ending to the film if, i mean don't get me wrong the wicker man is probably one of two of my favorite films of all time but i always mm. thought the the ending would be pretty cool if it skips to next next summer and you just mm. see that the entire island is just overflowing with with loads of crops and and everything and oh yeah like, oh so it worked that's cool <laughs> <laughs> they would be like yeah but we don't trust those you know people in scotland on those <laughs> islands they might get the wrong ideas <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah that's um again uh, the, so the wicker man is a, is a is a brilliant example of, of folk horror and just shows that 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 idea has been part of, uh, you know, part of en- entertainment and part of our psyche for for quite a while. So that that film was done in nineteen seventy three, maybe or something. I'm not quite sure. Something year, like that, yeah. Something yeah. Like around those lines. So that's like you say, that's more than fifty years ago. Um, mm. Those ideas were were about, um, and there's been a bit of a revival in the past few years as well. There's um, other films that explore, you know, aspects of of folklore and and incorporate that into horror um and that's kind of where the um the inspiration i think for folk hammer came um and I, I should say i did not come up with the term folk hammer that that was jonas um he he came up with that um, it's such a brilliant term it's like it, so in your face clear really is. if you know it, you know folk horror you know oh yeah 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 i know what this is exactly um because we, we'd been having um a chat we we actually started communicating through instagram because we were both seeing the pictures of the stuff that each other was doing and we're always liking them and commenting and stuff like that and so we just ended up chatting back and forth um and a lot of that was about about films like we, we both recently watched um 
the the lighthouse with um mm. Willem Dafoe and Robert Dafoe. Patterson in. Um, yes, and we the, the, just thought it was fantastic, and we loved that that kind of feel and essence. And we were, we were just having back and forth discussions about the way we were, you know, the ideas we had for incorporating various different inspirations. And mm-hmm. when Joe honestly said the, um, you know, when he said the word full camera, it was like, it was a proper light bulb clicking on moment for me. And it was like, you've, you've just managed to create this single word that describes how I feel about the stuff that I want to make and build and paint. Mm-hmm. And that just sums it up. Um, so yeah, we were, I was profoundly happy when I heard that term. It, it made my heart warm. <laughs> I thought this this is what I'm about. Um, and so yeah, he was. Um, that was a, an amazing bit of inspiration from for him coming up with that. And I think like a lot of it can clearly be seen in. I mean, when we say Warhammer in this sense, we're talking about the old world. You know, Warhammer fantasy mm-hmm. battles, uh, yeah. probably mostly like the Empire. In this, because you know we're Northerners from Europe, so we you mm-hmm. know work with the tropes we're familiar with. But you know your mileage yeah. may vary. Anyway, yeah. So uh, I don't know if it would really work in 40k. I'm kind of hoping to find out if it would work or not. It's such a different like mm-hmm. setting that it's kind of for me personally hard to see it. But I'm hoping somebody else has that light bulb moment and just you know nails it. And I think, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm definitely no expert on Age of Sigmar. It just doesn't appeal to me. But I'm sure, since it's so loose canon, that basically <laughs> you could make that kind of world. But uh, for me, working within kind of a framework, like the Warhammer Old World, where you have, you know, mm-hmm. Altdorf, you have Nuln, you have the forests yeah. and all that shit. It's much more fun to see like, oh, hey, uh, we have Tal, the god of the forest and the hunt and this old god. What if we make it a bit weirder? What if his priests, you know, sacrifice children (laughs) or stuff like this? It's kind of, for me, that thing appeals much more rather than just being like, oh, let's make up everything from scratch. Because then it feels like a lot of mental work and I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the 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 old world uh, of Warhammer does almost feel like it's kind of ready built to to explore folk camera ideas because it's it's got such a rich um, mythology to it, and as like mm-hmm. you say, it's got the got the old gods that are, they've got a lot of real world comparison as well. So it's easy to to draw an inspiration from um, the folklore of other you know of of real world cultures. Um, it's done you know done in a in a sensitive way rather than an exploitative way um yeah. things like as you said work because because of where we are situated we're more familiar and more exposed to um sort of european folklore like western and northern european i think is the kind of thing that i would come across typically the most mm. and so that would be yeah. what i would find easiest enough to transpose into the into the warmer world into the old world and you know take ideas and, and use those as influences um Again, there's a, there's so many sort of real world crossovers between the old world and and real life. So, um, like the northern side of the empire, like Kislev, clearly has like a Slavic kind of influence to it. I would say. Mm. Um, so there's that opportunity to bring in um, like Eastern European folk folklore as well, um, which I think I, it, it's not something that I'm massively familiar with. But all the time, when, whenever I read about something from from Eastern European traditions, I just think they're, they're amazing. It's, they've got some really cool, really interesting like ideas about about the world and nature and the way it would interact with them. Um, moving away from a point, and I forgot what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it happens to us all the time here, so yeah. it's not like anything. I might cut in here and. Uh, I think it was last summer when that zombie kit came out, the new ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the Age of Sigmar zombies. Really like a wonderful kit. And uh, it was, you know, I was still like, oh, plastic is fun. You know, let's buy plastic, <laughs> which I'm really not <laughs> at the moment. But anyway, so yeah, I was like, hey, what if these guys were civilians instead of being zombies? What if they're farmers and craftsmen and mm-hmm. retired veterans who got their legs blown off? Because I have this thing where, you know, you always have to have a couple of amputees in your war bands. <laughs> otherwise, it's not Warhammer enough for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, let's do this. And uh, looking at personally i kind of like having a slightly poorer in a way if that sounds you know i want them to be dirt farmers you know they're not mm-hmm. rich rich people yeah. aren't interesting they don't have stories <laughs> i want to hear i want to hear about you know you know the family who's starving most of the year because they are croft holders on some realist or like some estate who is just sucking out the workers <laughs> and uh, for me i was reading back then uh, uh, under the uh, under the polar star, a Finnish trilogy of books by the author Väinö Linna, who's very much about Finland's history from 1880 to after the Second World War. It kind of tells the, a family like their lives during that time, and mm-hmm. I was kind of like, yeah, let's bring this into you know Ostermark or something like this, and try to instead of having this mythology let's mythologize uh, like national trauma history <laughs> in a way and see like put it in the Warhammer world. Yeah. So for me, kind of the like the folk horror is more the, you know, the horror is humans in that sense, but mm-hmm. still trying to have this, you know, countryside where it's bleak and there's witchcraft and you don't really know what's, what's in the waking world and what's in the dream world. Like landscapes kind of bleed together in that sense and trying to find this people in who would live in that kind of place and what kind of like stories would they... I don't think they would even like try to tell them. They would just try to survive them in a way. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm sure Scotland had its, you know, poor periods. So mm-hmm. in a sense, you can relate. You have, you know, your southern cousins. We have our... Western and Eastern cousins who both like to, <laughs> to you know, claim us. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it, it's, a, it's a very good point. I think that's that's definitely the case when it comes to folk horror and, and folk hammer is that it's it's a sort of a peasant level. Or like you said, there's, there's poverty in it and there's hardship. So it's, it's not really about the stories of rich people and rich people's problems. You know, they're, they're in castles and cities and towers and they have opulence and whatever the level of technology of the day is, theirs is at the higher end. So all, all this, this kind of thing about the, you know, folklore and the spirits in the wishing well and things like that, this, this takes place in, this is at a level that, well, that to me, it's, you know, it's uh, the, the villages, hamlets, little farmsteads, places like that. And so these are the people who, who live very closely connected to nature. So like you said, they they yeah. are impacted by things like the the cycle of, of the year. So, um, you know, if the harvest is bad, then they're the ones who will directly suffer. It's, you know, it's not necessarily going to filter up the food chain to, you know, the lords and ladies who are sat in castles and, and have large tracts of land. So it's definitely a focus of, how um everyday people uh of the world you know manage to deal with the harsh realities of life and nature and all the um you know the supernatural elements that might interact with that as well the the that folklore being that sort of interconnect between how we how we explain the parts of the natural world that we don't quite have a handle on that we can't quite understand um and so yeah that's that's i keep doing it Keep losing my train of thought. I've done it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, well, uh, it feels I, kind I, of folkish in a way, you know. You, your mind <laughs> wanders, and suddenly, you know, you see some kind of troll. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I tell you, it's, it's age. I'm just just an old man sat here, and I'm I'm telling stories, and I'm losing the plot, and yeah, uh, it's just all going <laughs> all going wrong. <laughs> Soon it'll be, yeah, you know, the wise old man pays ten copper coins to hear his thoughts <laughs> and it might be a prophecy it just might be that is you know senile <laughs> <laughs> yeah something for the adventurers to explore <laughs> yeah no but i think like uh in a lot of way the discussion has been you know about doing kind of your own thing and uh whether it's 
using Warhammer as a sort of springboard to explore different concepts, different miniatures, or just, you know, making your own, like, setting from scratch. I think both are Mm -hmm. equally valid and uh, definitely brings interesting ideas to the discussion that might not be seen if you're just, you know, reading the books and not, how do you say, like, creating your own thing. And I think, in a way... The twenty-eighth, at least, it's all about you know creating your own kind of, kind of all weird, weird, comfortable, dark place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think that's without um, making too many assumptions about people. I think that's probably the the kind of person who gets drawn to the to the twenty-eighth side of things is the person that does get a lot of enjoyment for having to put that additional work in of of creating your own stuff. So like I said before, there's a you know there's a there's a place for for both sides of of the mm. hobby in in that sense. But um, I know for myself and uh, a lot of people that I speak to on a regular basis or semi regular basis, the the things we enjoy is creating ideas and you know having other people help you and give suggestions and build on it and and just put something together that's it might be might be based off um an initial starting point that could come from a world like that's created by games workshop or another work of you know fiction something like that but at the end you have something that's much more unique and much more yours or yours being part of the community of people that that's built it um so you have that Mm. you know that uh sense of having created and nurtured something yourself um and being able to tell stories based around that i think is is uh, a great thing that's what i love about a lot of the way that the indie games that are coming up at the moment is that they're all they're all about building these narratives and telling these stories and everything so yeah you you know you can fight fight battles with your with your mini toy soldiers but you can also have a, a cracking good time telling a story that can be as you know as small or as epic as you want um mm. But you know, you take it from from humble beginnings to a to a satisfying conclusion, um, and I, I think that's a, a brilliant thing about our hobby. It's a bit like the like the tabletop role playing game scene as well. You know, you um, creating these creating these narratives with friends that you can that you can uh, go along to uh, to a conclusion with, which uh, is is really enjoyable. It's it's almost like playing a really detailed and involved potentially open-ended computer game but you're doing it with lots mm-hmm. of other people and you're coding the computer game as you go along because it's entirely up to you you know <laughs> what goes into it and uh, how it ends basically so i it's um i don't know I, i'm very positive about the about the community um i feel like it's a, a great time to be alive in in the hobby sense at the moment maybe not in other sense that you know the world's kind of turn into a flaming piece of shit but <laughs> at least from a from a slightly um um from 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 my perspective the 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 hobby side of things i think is a is really bustling hive of, of really good positive activity for the most part i mean there are some bad corners of the hobby but that's not what i was uh, talking about <laughs> yeah no well said i mean well said like uh of course you know there are bad apples everywhere but we try to ignore them and don't give them the space they crave but yeah no mm-hmm. it's uh, definitely a time for indie game developers and it seems like there's some crazy new game coming to kickstarter <laughs> what are those uh, small micro pages where you can pay a few bucks for a game all the time so it's it's definitely a time to explore rather than just being like hey staying on the mainstream path you can fine i mean no mm. hobby shame you know you do you and it's equally worth oh, yeah. anyway but yeah. uh yeah might be worth trying out something weird and seeing like hey maybe this is my kind of shit exactly but yeah. yeah hey i think we're gonna wrap up here but before we end uh, i want to ask you to recommend a game a book and a movie preferably not a game you're working on though <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, the, the the game side was the one that I, I was struggling the most with because there's so many that I think are, are, are just amazing, or at least like some of them are even developing that have got a lot of potential. Um, but the I think the the one that I would suggest at the moment is Lobster Pot 
um because mm. I, I just think that the setting is so yeah it's just it's just perfect it's got like the artwork that sam allen's created um it's just like I love the artwork before even the game existed. I was just fascinated by these, you know, tentacled monstrosities mm-hmm. and the angry gold men and stuff like that. But to then have a, a skirmish game that exists based in that world that gives you an excuse to build these these models and everything um, is really good. And um, to my shame, I've not played a game yet. I've, I've built a few models and I've, I've messed around and, and created a few things, but that's kind of my curse to be honest I, I get interested in so many different things that i build i build the models i build the warbands i build the scenery and then i kind of never get around to playing the game i then start building models and bits and scenery for something else and then yeah months later i'll come back and build a little bit more but i mean to be honest I'm, I'm quite happy with that i know that that is that is my hobby deficiency i, I build stuff more than i play stuff but i, I suppose I, that's just what i enjoy or perhaps I like, that's you know that's a hobby strength, you know. You actually do something. There's well, a lot of yeah. great plastic <laughs> being pushed around on tables. So, yeah, I suppose I'm I'm the the exact opposite of the person who never gets around to, you know, they're they're always playing with the just the, the built plain plastic and things like that. I'm the one that always has the fully built and painted warbands sat in the corner mm. and doesn't actually play with them. But you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, lobster part is. Um, it's a fantastic game from what, well, like I said, I've not played it, but I've read the rules through and I've done the, the warband creation because a bit like, I don't know don't know about you, but whenever I, I've bought a new role-playing game in the past or whenever I was, I was reading the rules for a role-playing game, character creation is always the bit that I absolutely love. I like seeing what the oh, options yeah, are, I mean, what you can definitely. do. Definitely, that's the fun know. part. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when it comes to a, when it comes to like a game like, like Lobster Pot, going to, the, going to the page where it says create your warband or whatever it is and have a, having a read through that and seeing seeing what you can what monstrosities you can create mm. i always enjoy that that's that's probably one of my favorite bits so that's where you get all the inspiration then to go out and start kish, uh, kit bashing crazy things and everything so you read something and go oh yeah i want a bit of that he's gonna have that he's gonna have this um so yeah um that was that would be my game then um cool i'll just pop in quickly for those interested in lobster pot you can download mm-hmm. the rules and paper miniature and paper terrain from 28mag.com so from our website we're incredibly pr- proud to host lobster pot at our at our place so uh your book and your movie then so again i've, I've struggled with all of these but for, for yeah, I didn't was... give you much time to prep, did I? <laughs> no, no, but I mean, it's, I suppose it shouldn't technically be too hard to, to pick stuff that I already like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. But, um, my my favourite book ever, my favourite novel that I've read time and time again, I've not read it for a few years now, so it's about time that I've read it again, but um, is Dracula by Bram Stoker. Mm. Um, and I, I think I was pretty young when I first read it. I was probably about eight years old, something like that. Um and I think that probably is what did the permanent damage that has led me to be the person that I am today. Because <laughs> um, I've just been fascinated with everything that's slightly um, gothic and strange and unusual um, and things that are horror related, you know, so that's that's obviously led me down the path of folk horror in, in later years when I've discovered mm that kind of thing so i I think everything everything about my personality that likes the the dark and grisly side of things comes from when the little eight-year-old me picked up dracula from a local library and had a read of it that that was what started it all so that's it's just my favorite book i I, feels like coming home when i when i sit down and read that it's a very welcoming feeling so i feel like i I Mm -hmm. know the, the characters and the locations and things like that very well um, not that I couldn't repeat it to you verbatim, but I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with them in the same way as you might be familiar with, you know, a street that you walked down when you was a, a young boy. And so it might have changed mm. a little bit, but you go down there and you still, you know, you feel like you belong there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I fully understand. And I don't know if you've ever read it, but I warmly recommend you try the Icelandic uh translation of dracula you can actually get it translated back into english now i believe the the translator original translator took some huge liberties (laughs) and it took i think i read it took like 50 years before somebody realized like it's a completely different book 
it's just <laughs> insane. And I think it's just hysterically cool that some rogue translator took the book and was like, fuck this plot, and made his own kind of book. And nobody noticed. So that, that I warmly awesome. recommend you, you try to track it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that's just made that's that that's just made my mind explode a little bit because i'm just thinking now like how how many things that get translated do we actually you know we, we place so much trust in the person who's presenting information to us that it's been translated mm-hmm. accurately and the guy who's writing it hasn't just looked at it and gone well this is a bag of shit i'm going to give this character guns and so we're yeah. getting something completely different <laughs> but that that's amazing i'm gonna to have to have a look into that <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> and uh, your movie then what are we looking at oh movie right you, you would think that it would be wicker man and it almost is it's kind of mm-hmm. Near, nearly Wicker Man, but it isn't. It's <laughs> a film called Excalibur that was uh, it actually it was actually released the year I was born, 1981, um, and directed by John Borman. Um, and it is, to my mind, it, it takes some liberties with the story of King Arthur and and um, everything. Um, but to for for me, it's the most perfect representation of the Arthurian tale in in a film that i've seen there's no, nothing else has come close to it um there, there are there's parts of it that i would say are, are grim dark it's got it's got flagellants in it um you know the the knights hacking each other to pieces it can be quite grim and bloody um there is there's um folklore there's a sense of wonder and nature and magic in it as well um but it's not um it's not silly magic, like throwing fireballs and things like that. There's a lot about it that is where, where magic is a, a subtle way of influencing the world around you. It can be powerful, but still quite quite subtle, the idea of like illusion and things like that. Um, some of the acting is a bit questionable, um, especially if you watch it these days. But, I mean, I again, that, that's a film that I can, whenever I want, I can put that on and I will just get absolutely engrossed and it just takes me away back to this place when i first saw it and was amazed by it um and it's actually got an amazing cast as well it's got patrick stewart liam neeson uh helen mirren um gabriel byrne he's in it um so yeah there's and they they look young (laughs) because it's a film that again it's like 40 years ago (laughs) so you see the younger versions of them they don't look like that these days but um it's it's um i would highly recommend it if you like swords and sorcery um, and you write something that's, you know, it's got it's got violence, it's got plenty of action, there's a little bit of drama, a little bit of romance, magic. Um, there's a few silly bits in it as well, but overall it's... I mean, uh, those, just, uh, you know, who wouldn't want that? Those mm-hmm. help the violence go down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that is, it, it has to be. If, if someone asks me what my favourite movie is, that's always the first film that pops into my mind. And then The Wicker Man is always a very, very, very close second because I, I love The Wicker Man. And Christopher Lee is just, uh, is, it was a legendary it's presence. Wild, uh, amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I must go. admit, I haven't watched Excalibur. My friend Johan is always talking like, oh, Excalibur, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't want to admit I haven't seen it because you know it's <laughs> it's one of those movies most people seem to have watched who see into this kind of Warhammer thingy, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen it. I mean, my other movie shame is I haven't seen Alien. You know, it's I ne- I've never seen Alien. <laughs> I've seen the second part, the third part, and the fourth part, but I haven't seen the yeah. first for some reason. Yeah, so I. I... I, th- I think everyone always says about how good the second one is, um, yeah. and that's that's very true. Second one is amazing, but the the second one is definitely more of an action film, whereas the first one is more yeah. of a horror film. Um, I mean, I'm, I am a big fan of the the Alien franchise in general. I quite like it. Gets a bit more ridiculous the you know the higher up you go. Yeah. Um, but definitely the original ones, and I I love the I love the level of technology. Like if you go and watch. If you were to watch Alien today, you're looking at like the future as it was predicted in the 70s, essentially. Um, and it looks, it, it has this almost, there is a, an Inc. 28 vibe to it. It's got this almost mm-hmm. imperial kind of thing. You know, there's like these green flashing screens and what would have been like the height of technology back then. 
um, looks yeah. quite archaic to us, but it's still, you know, the ship they're on the Nostromo is this this mining ship, so it's probably going to be a bit old and tanked and, and banged up and everything anyway, mm. but it's still... Yeah, not that cutting edge. The, the technology is so far ahead of what we have now, but it looks... Uh, it looks old to us, and I, I just love that that kind of mix when you get this um, sense of technology. But it's it's like cranky archaic technology that you could see having to you know say a prayer to the machine god before it does what you want it to. <laughs> I, I really enjoy that that aesthetic. I think it's um, it's really cool. Yeah, no, I think like uh, well, I don't know how many movies there are with all those extra odd ones, but. Uh, Alien still has like I really like the third one, which I know is kind of a controversial standpoint, but I think it had some very interesting ideas and scenes in it. And you know, at the end of the day, it's like look at the you know pretty pictures. So yeah, <laughs> it's it's not the end. But yeah, I'll I'll definitely have to watch this summer then Excalibur, and I'll try to watch Alien. I don't want to make any promises, but you know, one day I'll watch it. Yeah, no, no pressure at all. No, no, no. <laughs> we'll see. I'll <laughs> let you know when I watch it. <laughs> it's been an, a real pleasure talking with you. And Thank I you. think we're going to have to cut it here. Mm-hmm. So this has been 32, Chapter 5, I believe. I have to check. Uh, 28 podcast. And we'll catch you in the next one. Thank you very much, Steve. And goodbye, listeners. Thanks very much.